Support for KOSU comes from listeners just like you, who make a donation in support of the news and the music KOSU brings you. Become a member today and get some cool member benefits. Just click the donate button on KOSU.org. For KOSU News, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and ACLU Oklahoma Executive Director Ryan Kiesel. A group known as Oklahomans Decide Healthcare is launching an awareness campaign on its initiative petition to put a Medicaid expansion measure on the ballot in November of 2020. The group still must survive a Supreme Court challenge with oral arguments set for this coming Tuesday. Then supporters would have 90 days to collect 178,000 signatures. Ryan, this seems like a pretty daunting task. Well, it seems daunting, but if you look, you know, multiple states have done this in the past. Uh, I think that we're looking at a very sophisticated campaign operation. Amber England, the, the, the sole person on staff right now, has a ton of experience with advocacy building or advocacy coalition building and running statewide campaigns, running legislative campaigns. So they've got, you know, a really steady and experienced hand at the uh, head of this campaign right now. Uh, I think that they're going to get these signatures. I think that if the in the event that the oral arguments you know, derail all or a part of the ballot measure on Tuesday, <clears throat> they've got plenty of time to come back with new language to remedy any situ or any uh, problems or concerns that the state Supreme Court has with it. And then they'll go out in the field and they're going to you know, collect these signatures. I, I don't think that there's going to be any question as to whether or not um, they get the signatures and get this on the ballot. I think the bigger question will be, what kind of opposition will there be? Will the opposition be earned media by the governor and others going out and saying, you know, let the legislature fix this, don't do it by ballot measure? Uh, or will there be an actual paid money to opposition to this? That's going to be the real question because the advocates, they're going to have a lot of money on their side. Neva. Well, and I think it may be twofold. I think we may see a situation the governor has indicated uh, several times uh, that uh, he wants to look at this uh, look at this matter and move with some initiative of his own. I mean, perhaps as early as this fall. And there's been speculation and and discussion about the, the possibility of a special session maybe to come in and deal with just this issue. So I think there are a lot of things still on the table. But the, the fact that it, this is such a uh, such a, div a dividing issue uh, when you really look at rural Oklahoma versus the metropolitan areas. I mean, this is something that I think quickly they understand. I mean, since uh, 2016, one of the things that the coalition has keyed in on is the eight hospitals that have declared bankruptcy and the six that have closed their doors in rural Oklahoma in the last three years. I mean, those are things that really get people's attention. And so it's not just the money aspect of do we how do we get the federal money, what's the price tag attached to it from the state standpoint, but the bigger issue of providing health care and having accessible health care in the outlying parts of the state, which uh, oftentimes uh, lawmakers, when they get together in Oklahoma City, uh, that that part of the discussion gets diluted somewhat. So I think it will be uh, it will be interesting to see what the court does next week. And and then, as you say, I mean, it's not impossible to get the signatures when you have an issue that has a great deal of uh, emotion and intensity behind it. And we'll just have to see how this uh, proceeds during the summer months. And it doesn't help that the Commonwealth Fund came out with a report showing Oklahoma as ranks now second worst and not even close to third worst. I mean, it's Mississippi and us. As, as far as getting access to health care. Well, that was the, you know, they ranked several things in terms of Oklahoma's health care landscape. And, and the one that was most problematic for the state was access to care. And, you know, Neva's right. This this has had a, a really 
especially hard hitting effect on rural Oklahoma. I mean, whenever you're in rural Oklahoma and you're seeing uh, your hospital threatened with bankruptcy, threatened with their doors being closed, and you know some communities have already experienced that. You know, you know there there is kind of the rural urban divide here, but maybe it's not so much a divide as something that could be an issue that transcends that rural urban divide that we've seen. I mean, in, in Oklahoma, for the longest time, our political we we talk about politics as rural versus urban, but that's become more and more aligned with you know partisan identity as well. So you know, the rural areas have become more Republican leaning, urban areas become more Democratic leaning, and those things that transcended uh, the partisan labels in the years past have kind of faded away. And this may be a new issue that comes to the top that brings Republicans and Democrats in rural areas together around a single issue. And when you look at the fact that in the legislature, Republican-dominated legislature, there's been no appetite for uh, really Medicaid expansion. I mean, we've seen this uh, over and over again now in recent years. But as 36 states now have done something uh, with respect to expanding Medicaid, last year voters in three states mm-hmm. uh, 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 were successful in approving the, their Medicaid expansion programs in Utah and Nebraska and, and Idaho. Those liberal I, bastions. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> I think what we've seen, yeah, I mean, when you, when you look at the sheer numbers, uh, I think it may change the argument and it may change uh, the need for broadening the discussion and trying to find something that I think could be a compromise. Join the KOSU Business Circle by June 30th and get your small business a year's worth of underwriting for just $400. Email development at kosu.org or call 405-744-9974. Corrections Director Joe Albaugh is resigning his position. The abrupt announcement came during Wednesday's meeting after the new members took their positions on the Board of Corrections. Neva, any idea what happened? No, I think it, uh, <laughs> from all indications, at least from uh, what we know that took place at the meeting, uh, it was something where... Uh, whatever triggered it, it, it happened. Uh, he made his resignation effective immediately, will retire July 1. Uh, I think there was the expectation among many that there very well could be a change at some point uh, in the leadership, uh, given the fact that the governor had not really indicated anything one way or the other. But I think that the the, the real, I think, question was in the, in, uh, the statement that uh, uh, Director Albaugh, as he departed, said that they basically um, there was a difference in philosophy. I mean, there was clearly uh, something as an undercurrent that had uh, precipitated this, um, you know, kind of quick and uh, and very, I think, surprising uh, departure on his part. But you know, when you look at the broader picture of who, who comes in long term to fill this position, I mean, he came in in a tough spot three years ago, and and did did the things that. Uh, uh, oftentimes uh, that person gets uh, handed to do, and that was to battle the legislature. He made a lot of uh, made a lot of folks unhappy, um, but he was the champion for those folks that do the day to day work in the correction system that we know are uh, uh, have to be there, have to be on the job 24/7, 365. And so I think you have to look at the step back and say, you know, let's just don't look at this as an isolated one time event in a board meeting, but look. At the broader context of where this board sees itself and with the hiring and firing power now of the governor, 
um, it may be it may be the beginning of a lot of big changes like this in the future. Ryan, and yeah, totally caught everyone flat-footed. Uh, the governor included. I mean, mm-hmm. it seemed like they had they had to call a recess in the middle of the meeting for someone to call the governor and say, "This just happened. What do we do?" Um, and there was some scrambling there, and ultimately ended up with uh, the appointment of an interim who could be a, a long-term interim. The, the interim that they appointed is currently the director of operations for the Department of Corrections. Career man, thirty-year Dur- plus. Yeah, 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 decades in uh, in the uh, in the organization, uh, and so or in the state agency and so at least you know there's some continuity there but there's really no sense of how long they're going to be there i mean some of the things that we do know and speculation here but some of the things that we we can we can speculate about that that seem to be happening is that the governor said that there's going to be a state or a national search for a new director you know that seems to indicate to me that as the governor's been looking at whether or not to rehire uh director albaugh they haven't been <clears throat> really you know, testing a lot of the other waters, or, or maybe they have, but that search process didn't really seem to be that far along because they're instituting something now with an interim. If you'd had a hiring process, you'd think you would have heard some announcement that they were just expediting that. But now like they're going, what happened with the DHS. Yeah, now right? they're yeah. going on a search. And so you know, that's, that's going to be really important to bring somebody in. I think that we'll tell the truth like uh, Director Abba has done. I mean, that's been incredibly important for him to be an advocate for correctional officers. Uh, you know, he's been he's one of the been of the biggest champions for correctional officers the state's ever seen. And, you know, to see him go, whoever replaces him, uh, he or she needs to step up and be an advocate for them. But also to follow with this board, to work with this board, to put in criminal justice reform measures, to be an advocate in front of the legislature, and to really look at investing in programs rather than just trying to grow the prison system. And we, we're looking at a, a system, we're looking at a search, who wants to take over this agency? <laughs> I mean, it's it's crumbling. It is the Titanic. And you know, rather than, we don't need to just add more deck chairs to the deck. We need to figure out how to <laughs> reduce the size of the ship. Well, one of the things, you know, Abba said in the meeting is he said he thought he was working with the governor and then made the made the statement, but apparently I wasn't. Uh, so um, I, th- I think there, there were a lot of things apparently kind of brewing in the background on this that just all hit at once. And I think as we as we see this kind of settle out, I think we'll begin to, you know, see the rest of the picture. Yeah. And we may see where this board uh, seems to be charged and with the five that the, the governor personally interviewed he said and and made his selections uh, they clearly uh, with one of those five being now the new chair I mean they're clearly in charge and and going to obviously be very hands-on which has been something different than we've seen on many of these boards and commissions in the past and Joe oh, when Joe Albaugh took this job he didn't take the job because he needed the job I mean this right. he has one of the most storied political and public service careers in the state of Oklahoma's history and so when he took this job it was I think out of a sense of, of public service and he threw himself into it. I mean, you talk to corrections uh, folks, I'll tell you, you could see him regularly on the, on the yards in correctional uh, facilities around the state talking to inmates, you know, knew a lot of them by first name. And he really threw himself into this job. And I think whenever, whatever it is, whatever that story emerges over the next couple of weeks uh, of what actually happened here, uh, what we're going to see is that Joe Alba just didn't need it. And he said, okay, I've done what I can do and I'm going to walk away from this. And, uh, and go retire. I, I doubt that he's going to stay retired for long. He's going to do something else. And, and clearly with each of these directors of the these major agencies, as well as the cabinet secretaries, what we have is a governor who uh, very clearly seems to be making appointments and selections based upon a chemistry of someone that, that he really has a rapport with, philosophically is aligned with, uh, whatever that whatever that combination, you know, that 
kind of perfect uh, chemistry mix that comes into play, it is significant when you have the CEO type philosophy of these, you have one person making this selection, uh, it, it does become part of the part of the total equation. So it may be nothing more than kind of some of that mix as, as opposed to just something that's a, the broader philosophical criminal justice and, and bigger issues that are on the forefront for corrections. Yeah. Support for KOSU comes from listeners just like you, who make a donation in support of the news and the music KOSU brings you. Become a member today and get some cool member benefits. Just click the donate button on KOSU.org. The Pardon and Parole Board discusses implementation of House Bill 1269. The measure passed by lawmakers and signed by Governor Stitt makes State Question 780 retroactive, resulting in the reduced sentences for several nonviolent offenders already serving time. In fact, supporters say 623 people could get early release by the time HB 1269 takes effect in November. Ryan, how big of a deal is this for Oklahoma's high incarceration rate? It's a huge deal. I mean, I, I think that there's been a lot of talk about things that were left on the table at the end of this legislative session with regard to criminal justice reform. And that's true. And I think that we can all uh, recognize the need to redouble our efforts to get those things passed next year. But what happened with the passage of House Bill 1269 is, is really remarkable. I mean, it, it's a remarkable step forward. And looking back at some of our past mistakes and trying to rectify them and getting these folks out of prison. Uh, and then for people that are already out of prison that still have these charges hanging over their head, the ability to go back and get those expunged mm-hmm. so that they can move on with their lives, get student loans, get housing, get jobs. I mean, this is a, this is a real important piece of legislation. I will say that the pardon and parole board right now is really trying to figure out process and bandwidth. And, you know, like you said, the bill doesn't go into effect until November, but there's a lot that they need to be doing right now Mm -hmm. so that as soon as the bill becomes effective, we're not looking at months of implementation. We can start that implementation now so that whenever it becomes effective in November, we can begin to get these folks out of prison and get to begin to get folks' records expunged. Um, Now, I will say that the original version of the bill uh, would have put all of this, uh, all of these mechanisms in district courts around the state of Oklahoma, and I think would have streamlined that process. You know, now we're looking at a pardon and parole board that's really a part-time board, mm-hmm. uh, having to process a lot of this stuff. I think that they're up to the task, and there are a lot of organizations that are ready to help them with this. And but you know, the the original version of the bill, I think, would have made this implementation process uh, a heck of a lot smoother. Still, it would. Have, it's nice to see the board kind of being a little more proactive and. Oh, absolutely, this thing and and I think in terms of numbers, I mean, you mentioned the 623. I think there are two other uh, categories that that fold into this, and that number is somewhere around 1,500 yeah. additional. So, I mean, you're looking at significant numbers, and I think the push is rather than wait till November one. I mean, is to be prepared so that on November one. Uh, uh, that that those things can immediately take place and these folks uh, are released, or at least that seems to be the conversation yeah. that's at the forefront. And, you know, I think the other thing is, I mean, you have a pardon and parole board that uh, is looking at its second commutation docket. A lot goes into that, uh, you know, putting that into the work. So, I mean, it's no longer a board. I mean, as you say, uh, Mike, uh, Ryan, that it's a, it's a situation where it becomes almost a full-time, part-time, you know, uh, service yeah. <laughs> uh, to the, to the state. 
state if you're on on this board uh, and commission. So uh, I think that I think they're going to have to uh, look at from a budget standpoint. What are they going to do to help make just make this thing work mechanically and streamline it, as you say, and come back next year? I'm sure with a lot of uh, uh, other pieces of legislation that will directly you know tie back to this and other areas in the criminal justice well, uh, and, area. Well, in the on the numbers point, I mean, so we got you know 600 or so folks that mm-hmm. could be released. You know, uh, if you add in people that have sentence enhancements that are based upon old felony charges that are now misdemeanors, you know, that number goes to over a thousand, but then tens of thousands of Oklahomans that are no longer incarcerated uh, or under any sort of supervision, but still have these felony uh, records. Which makes it difficult to get jobs. Yeah. I mean, so we're looking, I mean, the numbers here and the number of people that are impacted are huge. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the the thing that I would say is that when people, I would ask people to think about uh, criminal justice reform as prospective and retrospective. And this is a retrospective application. We're trying to clean up our old mess. Uh, so we're not, this isn't sentencing reform the way that state question 780 was. You know, state, state question 780 was forward looking. This is backward looking and trying to clean up the mess pre-state question 780. And that's what we're looking at at the legislature right now. It's it's oftentimes easier to go back and clean up old messes uh, because we have direct evidence of what that looks like. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder on things like sentencing reform and, and modifying the way that we treat people coming into the system because that's forward-looking, and I think lawmakers are a little bit more suspective of the political liability that they perceive to exist with those prospective uh, uh, reforms. But those are the ones that are going to be most important. We're not going to get ourselves out of this hole by looking backwards and releasing folks. We've got to start changing the way that we do business. Join the KOSU Business Circle by June 30th and get your small business a year's worth of underwriting for just $400. Email development at kosu.org or call 405-744-9974. Oklahoma County's Jail Trust meets for its first time. The nine members elected new leadership and heard about structural issues plaguing the facility. The trust was created to repair the jail's damaged reputation. Neva, can this group do it? Well, I think this group has an extraordinary opportunity. And when you look at the composition of the group, I mean, you have folks on there that are very civic-minded, community-minded, people that have a great uh, deal of uh, expertise and understanding of the issue uh, directly and indirectly. So I think with the leadership of Trisha Everest and uh, Jim Couch uh, Mm -hmm. leading this, I mean, clearly you have folks that uh, uh, this isn't their first rodeo, so to speak. I mean, they know what they know what they're getting into and what they need to look at and clearly are going to be very aggressive and very proactive in, in wanting information to make good decisions. Uh, there's There are going to be these continued uh, uh, kind of uh, feuds, for lack of a better uh, uh, description, between the sheriff and the trust. I mean, what, his perspective of what is really needed versus theirs in the broader uh, picture. Uh, the the conversation still, do we need a new jail? Do we do what, what we need to do with uh, the existing jail. There are a lot of big issues and and a lot of price tag uh, issues attached to it, just like the engineer came and and had the conversation in that first meeting saying, look, yes, we've looked at this over and over again. We have these big issues. uh, And with every one of them, there's a big price tag attached to it if you're talking about just dealing with the the existing and trying to improve on it. So uh, this will be, be, I think, a trust that will uh, be heavily... um, 
uh, kind of heavily watched by a broad group of people on all sides because it's a time where action has really got to take place. It's it's the political dimension is one, only one aspect of this in public safety, but it's the broader picture long term of what this does in the life of uh, of the city and the county. And I'm sure it also helps that this is a uh, an open public meeting. So yeah. instead of the an engineer going to the sheriff in his office and telling him what's going on, this is a public meeting where every transparency we get to see what's actually going on. Yeah, I mean you. See, you see people, you know, live tweeting this event and, you know, you, you can really, I mean, you can really be there and be in the room and that's, that's incredibly important. I'm optimistic about what this trust can accomplish. I, I think that, you know, Tricia Everest is, uh, you know, in, incredibly engaged on the criminal justice reform uh, movement in Oklahoma. She, I think, understands a lot of what's happening in Oklahoma County. I think that she understands pol- the political dimensions here. Um, and so I, you know, I, I'm, I'm optimistic about what they can do. I, I want to uh, just for our listeners, you know, we've talked about this in the past, jails versus prisons, right? So prison is where you go after you're convicted. Jail, you know, most of the people sitting in county jails around the state of Oklahoma, the overwhelming majority of those folks have yet to be convicted of anything. They're pretrial detainees. You know, they are, they are there awaiting trial or awaiting you know, some sort of a plea deal. Um, and so that's what happens if, if you get arrested and you don't have the money to bail out, uh, you sit in that jail. Um, and that gives prosecutors an enormous amount of leverage over you. Uh, you know, so I think that when we look at the Oklahoma County Jail and we hear these problems about mold, when we hear problems about jail deaths and, and uh, illness in the, in the jails and the unsafe working conditions for the officers that are there, um, we're talking about people that are innocent. I mean, that's, that's this, this huge cornerstone of, of the American criminal justice system is that you are innocent until you're proven guilty. I walked through the Oklahoma County Jail. I've been in other county jails around the state of Oklahoma. We dehumanize these people that are presumed innocent. We shouldn't dehumanize people even in prison, but especially folks that are presumed innocent. We, we treat them like animals in these places. Um, and we've really got to think not just about how do we make the jail operate better, but I hope that this jail trust will engage on uh, criminal justice reform policies that uh, prevent people from going into that jail unnecessarily in the first place. You know, when we talk about mental health treatment, a you know, homeless uh, service for uh, people that are homeless, um, right now that jail serves as a repository for a lot of people that are there only because they don't have the money to pay or because they have a mental illness or because they're homeless or all three. And, and that's another the dimension wrong is the mental, health, the mental health component. Yeah. I mean, with these uh, many of these detainees, and one of the conversations with MAPS4 is, is the possibility of including some type of mental health of facility that where we could actually see uh, these inmates diverted from the county jail into a mental health uh, facility of some sort. So there are some very uh, uh, some very innovative ideas, I think, on the table being discussed. And it's a question of will the uh, city uh, put that as part of their next sales tax initiative, uh, fold that into the mix, which could have great implications for uh, the county jail. Yeah. Support for KOSU comes from listeners just like you who make a donation in support of the news and the music KOSU brings you. Become a member today and get some cool member benefits. Just click the donate button on KOSU.org. Oklahoma Democrats select their first African-American woman to run the state party. After a bit of confusion and a close vote, Tulsa realtor Alicia Andrews was selected as the chair for the Democratic Party. 
Ryan, what do you know of Alicia Andrews? You know, I, she's uh, been secretary of the party for a couple of years now, uh, somebody who just got interested and started volunteering. And one of those things that happens in, in, in politics <laughs> is that if you start volunteering uh, you and, move and, up. And, you, and you show up on a rate, <laughs> you get more responsibility. That's right. If, if you show up, uh, it, yeah, it, it also also works. The, the converse of that is true as well. If you don't show up, you will get nominated for something. <laughs> true, yes. but in these, and you won't be paid for it. And you won't be paid for it. Uh, well, you'll be paid in a lot of grief. You'll be paid in a lot of grief. Uh, you know, so I, I think that it was, um, it was historic that the Democratic Party, I mean, it shouldn't be historic, as, as, as Alicia Andrews said, said. That's what she said. And it's, it's, 2019. it's totally true. But 2019, it shouldn't be historic, but it is. But we had three African-American women running for chair right. of, the, of the Oklahoma Democratic Party. Uh, one uh, ultimately uh, bowed out of the race early on, and then we had you know two contenders, an incredibly close vote. There was a, a lot of chaos with regard to the vote, but it's the Oklahoma Democratic Party. And these party conventions on both sides are, are always, always tough, and you've got... Uh, a lot of you know good faith volunteers administering a very complicated election system, um, and you know sometimes you know things go wrong, and you you have to hit the pause button and come back the next morning to certify the election <laughs> results. But uh, I feel like the party is going to come together here uh, around Alicia, and you know this is a it's an important moment for the for the state party. I will say that there's just the the mechanics of the way the party works is that oftentimes the person that's elected chair also becomes the executive director of the party. And so the executive director is a, a paid staff member mm-hmm. who manages the day-to-day right. operations of the state party. Um, not only is uh, the new chair not going to serve as the executive director, but the state party uh, made the decision that they were going to create a rule that would disallow that from happening in the future. So Anastasia Langhorn, uh, Langhorn who is the outgoing Democratic Party chair, and congratulations to her, and one of the youngest party chairs in, in the country and really oversaw some remarkable things, including the flipping of the 5th Congressional District in, in Oklahoma. Um, you know, her tenure there, you know, she's got a solid track record and, and legacy that she's leaving behind. But she served as both. Um, and so that's going to be the last of that, at least for the time being. It'll be interesting to see how that works out uh, with the party and who ultimately is hired as the executive director. Neva. And it is interesting that both the Republicans and the Democrats uh, in their party structure now have chairs from Tulsa County. Uh, and yes. I don't recall in, in recent memory that ever being the case. I mean, you have uh, the new Democratic Party chair and then David McLean of Skytook is the new re- newly elected Republican Party chair uh, just uh, less than a month or so ago. So uh, new folks at the helm in both parties coming up on a very uh, a big presidential year, 2020, as well as all of the, uh, all of the uh, uh, legislative races that will, you know, have a lot of attention focused on, and the 5th District race, which clearly is going to be one that's mm-hmm. going to get a lot of national attention. Uh, so I think that these folks have uh, a lot on their plate, and it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting times for both parties to see what they can do to energize their folks and, uh, and develop an apparatus in, on on both sides to be able to uh, marshal not only the, the the troops, so to speak, but also the money. And I think that's been a struggling issue with with parties across the country in recent years, is with independent expenditures and folks kind of going out and doing their own thing. The parties have uh, struggled to kind of be the driving force in states in these big elections. So who will be the executive director? Who knows? I mean, there's, I don't think there's uh, because Anastasia Langthorne is gone. You know, she's going to be Carrie Blumert's uh, 
communications director, the Oklahoma County Commissioner, okay. uh, Carrie Bloomer. So she's moving out of the party entirely. I think that there's a, a big question mark as to who that is. And, you know, what we've seen in, in other state parties uh, is that they've done a national search. I mean, right. they, they bring in a professional bring, bring in folks from uh, that, that have done this because, uh, as Neva said, the money aspect of this gets really complicated. Um, you know, parties, there's a question of, you know, what's the role of parties, especially when you've got independent expenditures, you've got these PACs that do a lot of the things that parties used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, parties are a conduit for national uh, political money. And so, you know, you're going to see them as a as a tool, as, as part of a larger toolbox of funding TV, funding canvassers, especially with the presidential year, having somebody that knows exactly how those things work so that one, things work, and two, people don't get in trouble uh, yeah. and run afoul of the law, even inadvertently or unintentionally. That's really important. Because the state party deals not only with state ethics issues, but also federal election right. commission issues and, and the, the uh, various funds that they have and use and, and all of that, all of that uh, reporting. So it's a, it's a far more daunting challenge, I think, than people sometimes look at when they think that this is just a bunch of volunteers and they just kind of do whatever they do. It is a big business uh, that has to be run like a business. And oftentimes these executive directors, the ones that do well, are the people that know the ropes and can come in and hit the ground running. Well, and both the the uh, Republican and Democratic Party chairs and new executive directors, they're going to oversee delegate selection to national Convention. co- conventions yeah. coming up uh, next year. You know, if if you talk to either party, I think that uh, chairs and executive directors that have been through that delegate selection process and the convention process will tell you that it's one of the most uh, they fun have the and exciting <laughs> times of their life, but one of the most difficult things that they've ever yeah, done absolutely. politically. All right, and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the ACLU, KOSU, its staff, or management.